Well, we've been in the book of Romans now for a year and a half. We started back in April 2013, and it's been 30 sermons now. We took 30 sermons to get to the end of Romans chapter 7, with a couple of excursions into other things along the way. But what I want us to do today, because we're coming back to Romans. Let's give it up for Romans. A little cheer. Coming back to Romans. Coming back to Romans. But but since we've been away, I don't want to just jump into the next passage. I want us to stop just catch our breath, and I want us to do a little bit of a survey of where we've been. Where have we been in Romans? What did we see? And I want to show you some of the high spots because we've been digging down into Romans. And here's what I want you to understand. As you read your Bible, especially a book like Romans, a book like Romans just has some amazing jagged peaks and some breathtaking moments of truth. As you dig down into a book, and we have, you need to form this kind of habit, not just with Romans, but any Bible book. Digging down in and stepping back away from. Digging down in and stepping back away from. There's a place for both of that as you read your Bible. You want to get details and you want to get the big picture. You want to get details. It's the reason since I've been here 19 years that three times I've done what's the Bible all about, right? Because things sometimes start to make more sense when you're like, oh, I get the big picture. Now look at this detail. So I want to take three messages before we jump into all. Two of the richest chapters in all of Romans, chapter 8. I know a lot of Christians that have memorized chapter 8, myself being one of them. Chapter 8 and chapter 9. Now, chapter 9 is also a hard, difficult one, but it's rich. It's great. Before we jump into those next two chapters, I want us to step back. Step back and get the big picture. Because we've got to have that as well as the details. Because here's what can happen. If you don't. If you don't step back occasionally, you can get lost in the details. Romans is not the easiest book to read. It's tightly reasoned, and and there's some hard stuff there. It's glorious, but it's tightly reasoned, and there's some hard stuff there. So you could get lost in the details. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about, why I want you to dig down in and step back. One of our all-time favorite cities to visit ever is New York City. Let me be clear, do not want to live there, ever. (laughs) Love to visit there. Love it. It's kind of like grandkids, I've been told. It's just wonderful, and why it's so wonderful is you give them back. You give them back. You have them for a day, and you give them back. You have them for a weekend, and you give them back. I love to visit there in New York City. Uh, Our family's been there three or four times over the past decade, three or four times. And if you've ever been to New York City, or a big city like LA or Chicago, whatever, but New York City especially, because of the number of people that are packed in such a small space. If you've ever been there and you didn't grow up there, like Pastor Peter LaRufa, that's different, you didn't grow up there, then you know that what we really did those first couple of visits was spend a little time sightseeing in between huge times of being completely lost. (laughs) On foot, down in the streets, with masses of humanity pressed up against you. You don't have to move your feet, you just stand there. And the crowds are so tight, you just move. You just move with them. It's just like, oh my goodness. Masses of humanity pressed up against you and buildings looming over you and every single person that owns a car laying on the horn. People, buildings, honking, and the smell of every kind of food from all over the world. It is a place of sensory overload if there ever was one, right? Here's the deal. With your Bible, 
you could get lost in the details and the sensory overload of getting down in the streets of the scriptures, up close, tight with verses, and you've got to have times where you step back to keep, get in place the framework of, wait, what's the big picture? So how does this fit? I tell you, the game-changing moment for me with New York City and I was never the same regarding disorientation. And, and here's a guy that, it doesn't take New York City. I get lost in Fort Wright, in Independence, you know. My mother said to me, and I was in college, she said, you couldn't find your way, and she said it very hatefully, you couldn't find your way out of a brown paper sack. Now, she said that because we were in the wrong Carolina, and I had, I was driving. And, and I'd been where we were going many times. It was my school. They're taking me back to school. I'm driving the car and they've got to go back that same day they didn't want to pay for a hotel and all of a sudden she yells from the back seat and she's in the back seat with my younger brother just trying to amuse herself with little star wars figures for and she's like where are we i said i don't know so what do you mean you don't know i don't know so we pull in a convenience store and i described columbia south carolina and he's like oh it wasn't like you can't get there from here but it was like you're hours and out you are three hours out of the way like wrong interstate and from the back seat, she said, Bradley, you couldn't find your way out of a brown paper sack. <laughs> so, so that's me, right? But you know what? Even that with me, and I own it. It's true. I can't. We'll leave somebody's house and Vicky will say, honey, right. Go right out of their driveway. Right. I, said, I don't know. She said, well, we turn left getting here. So you do the opposite. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. You take everything you did and you do it backwards. <laughs> She'll always say, you're a smart man, you know, Greek and Hebrew, you can do this. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Something's missing on that. It's really, she thinks I don't try. It's true a little bit, but it just, I don't care. It's like, I got a lot on my mind. I'm not thinking about where we're going. But anyway, game-changing moment for me with New York City, and I was never as lost again. We got lost, but never quite as just totally disoriented was when we made it to the observation deck of the Empire State Building, 86 stories high, and I looked down on Manhattan, and it was like, wow, everything was laid out like a grid. It is actually, though it is a scary kind of city, it is one of the most well-organized, laid out city. For the first time, it all made sense. Cha-ching. I'm told you can see for 80 miles from the top of the Empire State. I could see all five boroughs of New York City and made sense. I could see the Brooklyn Bridge, the, the Verrazano Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge. It all fell into place because I had the big picture. Big picture. For the first time I had a big picture. That's what we have to have with the Bible as well. Digging down in, stepping back away from. Because see, here's why I want to do this with you. Three messages to step back away from. You say, Brad, why? Let's get on into Romans 8. Here's what I also hope would happen as we go through a book like Romans. Oh, I love digging into it. But just you knowing Romans is, is not all I want to see happen. I want you to know something about the Bible that I think is supposed to happen. This sometimes we don't understand. As you read your Bible, and many times it takes that step back from to see this happen... You're supposed to begin to get a biblical vision of reality and the world. 
You're supposed to begin to see life differently. See how you think about God and sin and Christ and salvation and all of life and what matters most. It's like you get a lens and a grid through which you begin to see. It should impact how you how you respond at work and how you think about life and how you think about sickness and how you think about trials and how you think about your money and how you think about relationships. A biblical vision of reality of what matters most and what life is really all about. Maybe some of you are saying, but Brad, I already got a grasp on reality. I don't need the Bible to do that for me. I'd say, no, you don't. Not to the degree that you think you do. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. We gotta have this. Every time I've been to New York City, I've been struck by how much of what the world says is the best of the best of the best of the real world is not reality at all. As exciting as New York City is, and it is, there's so much of it that you can't really sink your teeth into because it's actually hollow at the center with no real substance. It's hollow. Oh, it's an incredibly fast-paced city that indeed does not sleep. And they give you a thousand ways to stay stimulated. But it's not reality. Though it's a city that ignites all your senses with bright lights and big buildings and glitter. And then when you add on that, when you add on the amount of money, money that can be found in the financial banking district and Wall Street of New York City... Wow. On top of that, you get the heady sense of fame, right? Every time I've been, there hasn't been a single time that I've been that there haven't been moments we were in the street or on one of those double-ducker red buses or somewhere that all of a sudden you hear a, a whoop, oh, everybody's like, ah, and kind of a running, and I'm like, what, 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 what? Oh, that's so-and-so, and they'll name someone I've never heard of. But everybody's just like, I'm like, what, what, what? Oh, that's Jess, uh, Jessica, what's her name? Something, Parker, Sex in the City, What? Sarah Jessica Parker. It's like, whoo, or a baseball player or whatever. There's this heady sense of fame right there. You're going to see somebody famous. Streets are shut off and you realize, oh, right there, they're filming an episode of a television show. Oh, right there, they're making a movie. It's like, oh, this is so cool. And your flesh, you just have the sense of this is what it's all about. This is it. This is such a rush. In fact, I'm told, get this, I'm told that 20% of all the money in the world, now you think about that a minute, can be found in the banking district, financial district of New York City. 20% of all the money in the world. Those companies that have wraparound billboards that wrap around, electronic wraparound billboards that wrap around three and four stories of some of those downtown buildings pay upwards of $5 million a month to have their product or name splashed on the side of that building. But the Bible tells us that everything I just described to you, hang with me, all the money, all the glitter, all, all the pizzazz and all the life and all the lights, all the fame is right now. Not one day, someday. Be careful because one day all that's gonna right now Passing away. Right now. Right now. Not will one day. That product, you know it's true, right? That product that's splashed all over the side of that building, five years from now, you might not even hear of it. Gone. 
didn't make the adjustments, gone. Passing away. Some of those financial gurus down in the financial district that are it, leading the mutual fund that's it. And they're the latest, greatest flavor. This time next week could be poppers. It changes that fast, right? I mean, read, read the paper, watch the news. Those celebrities and professional athletes, oh, how your heart goes out, should go out for them. Those celebrities and, and professional athletes that are getting out of those stretch hummers at the, at the right night spots, at the hot spots in Manhattan, and everyone's like, oh, cameras are flashing. Sooner than they have any idea are gonna reach their apex and it comes quickly and fade into oblivion with people saying, who, who, who? Right now, passing away. That is what 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 tells us and warns us, but a city like New York City tempts us to not believe what God says because it's so powerful and so exciting and it seems so real. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. If you're new to the Bible, go all the way to the back. Go to the book of Revelation, the last one, and just go left, bump back a little because we're not talking about the gospel of John. 1 John, there's three little books, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. 1 John chapter 2. And I hope you have a Bible with you. I want you to bring a Bible or an app in your lap where you can look up the scripture. I want you to see this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. Does that include New York City? Not just little podunk towns. All that is in the world. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He breaks it down into three big categories of the things that get us into trouble the most. That the flesh says, oh, that thing that just resonates with your flesh. This is it. So often we see things and it's the lust of the eyes like, oh. And then there is that and the pride. And New York City is one of those places where it's like one of those demonstrations where we put on display how great man is and what we've accomplished and what can be done. For the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So now he's put everything into one big category. Watch what he says about where that is headed. Everything that's of the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, And the world is, say it, say it again. Turn to someone near you and say, it's passing away. Say right now, right now. And the world is, see, and the reason I would do that to you folks is because when you go home, like I'm going to go home and watch the Bengals game that I DVR'd so I won't miss a minute, you're going to see stuff and commercials that are complete contrast to this that's gonna make you think, oh, that's it. I need that. I gotta have that. What's wrong with me? Where am I? Who am I? Ooh. Ooh. And all the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Eugene Peterson, in his message paraphrase, puts it this way. Practically, everything that goes on in the world, 
Wanting your own way. Wanting everything for yourself. Wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting. What a good description, right? That's what drives commercials. That's what drives so much. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. What a contrast. Folks, as we go through Romans, I don't just want you to have some more head knowledge and factoids about the book of Romans. I want to get you set for eternity from a perspective of what God is showing us in the book of Romans. And to do that, you've got to grasp the truths of these first seven chapters because folks... This is reality. This never changes. The names on those banking doors and those corner offices change like a revolving door. The names in the marquee lights on Broadway change continually. The company and the product that is it changes relentlessly. But the word of God is forever. 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 And so the first thing that I want you to get as I take you up higher with me for this vantage point that's bigger in these next three messages, number one, here's my first point. Number one thing I want you to get, your biggest problem and my biggest problem is a sin problem. And that's not where it stops. You say, okay, a sin problem that brings us face to face with a God problem. Your biggest problem. Don't hear me say your only problem. You say, Brad, well, I've got cancer. I've got MSS, MS. I'm, I'm unemployed. I've I'm, got kids that are, yeah, 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 you may. I'm saying your biggest problem and my biggest problem is our sin problem that brings us face to face with a God problem. See, the book of Romans teaches us the fundamental problem of the universe. The fundamental problem of the universe is not poverty. Not lack of education, not women's rights, not animal rights, not stewardship of the earth, not health care. Do not hear me. Don't go out of here and say, he said none of that matters. Did he say none of that matters? Louder. I'm grateful for those that tirelessly work for women's rights and we need more of it all over the world. For, I'm, I'm, not against, I'm against abusing an animal that should not happen. I want more resources to be shared equally among people. Just hear me saying, it's not the biggest problem you can get health care to more people and rights to more people and protection for more people and did you know they could die and go to an eternal hell just more well fed and taken care of the biggest problem is our sin problem that brings us face to face with a God problem because here's the deal Every human being created in the image of God, and we all are, black, white, young, old, rich, poor, American, third world country, doesn't matter. Every single human being is created in the image of God. And every single one of us is entrenched by nature, from birth, entrenched in our own stubborn rebellion against God. We all fall short of the glory of God and are entrenched in our own rebellion against the glory of God. And you might not realize this, and you say, that's not me. If you don't know Christ, if you're not a Christian, if Jesus doesn't live in you, 
you are waging your own quiet war against the glory of God. No matter how nice you look on the outside, you are waging your own quiet war against the glory of God because by nature, apart from a massive reorientation internally by God's spirit, you live for your own, say it, glory. You live for the glory of you. I'm not picking on you. That's me too, apart from the grace of God. All of us live our own glory. So you're waging your own quiet war against the glory of God. Paul's conclusion of the whole matter in chapter 3 nails this. Go to Romans chapter 3 with me. Romans chapter 3. Let's jump in at verse 9. So here's Paul. Find Romans 3, but look at me for a minute. Here's Paul who's given some tight reasoning in Romans chapter 1 and 2. Even the language in the original Greek is courtroom language, like an attorney. He's like a prosecuting attorney that's trying to back the person into the corner to show them it doesn't matter what you say and what you think, this is the deal. That's what Paul's been doing for two chapters and then he comes to the apex of it in Romans chapter three. Jumping in verse nine. Romans three, verse nine. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. Now what he's doing is, I wish we could read from one one all the way to here, but we can't. What he's doing is he wants to show there's nobody that's in a different category. In the Bible, there was two big classes of people, Jews and Gentiles, those that weren't. But he's saying it doesn't matter if you're a Jew. Yeah, you're God's chosen people through whom that nation was going to bring the Messiah. And he gave you the Ten Commandments, but you're not in a special category of less need for a Savior or less sinful. All, there's no distinction. doesn't matter where you're from, who you are. That's what he's doing in Romans 3, 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are, what's the word? All under sin. All under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. And he anticipates, you might say, oh, but what about my grandmother? She's never cussed. What about, what about that guy? That, oh, I got examples of people that are not in that class, Paul. No, not, say it, not one. Skip down to verse 22, and I want to jump in on the last phrase of verse 22. And for this to really make sense, you're probably already figuring out, you need the New King James Version, because that's mine, but whatever. Because the last phrase in the New King James is, for there is no, what? Difference. Stop saying you're different. Stop saying he's different, she's different. For there's no Difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All and right there is a good verse to get a biblical definition of sin. See, folks, what makes sin sin at its very essence is not what it does to other people around you. Does sin do horrible things to other people? Oh, yes, just read the news the abuse. Oh, just the things, you see things, you think, how could someone do that to somebody else? Oh, don't hear me saying there's not horrific things happening. But if you start there thinking that's that's sin, what it does to other people, you've missed it. The essence of sin and what makes sin, sin, is that it blasphemes God and rejects him as the source, ultimate source of goodness and justice and worship in the world. And that is what leads to all kinds of other abuses against other people. So you need to understand, you 
Your sin causes you to have a vertical problem between you and God long before you begin to have a problem on a horizontal level with other people. Always. It starts here. It starts here. This is my biggest problem. This is your biggest problem if you're not a Christian. It's, it's the vertical problem between you and God that leads to so many other abuses and problems with other people around you. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32 unpacks it for us. Jump back to Romans 1 now, beginning of verse 18. Romans 1, 18 to 32 unpacks this sum for us. What would this look like? How does sin play out in the world and in individual lives? Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the, the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do what? Say it. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That sin that you're born with and that I'm born with causes you to even when you do see truth and God graciously shows us truth. You don't. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. We suppress the truth. You don't want to know it. He's graciously telling you. You don't want to know it. That's what sin causes you to do. I don't want to know it. I don't want to. But there's more. Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are fuzzy and grainy and every now and then I have some glimpse that there must be a God. Are what? Clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that men are say it. Your sin nature that wages a quiet war against the glory of God because you want to live for your own glory causes you to take truth and squish it. It causes you also to take what was clearly evident that there is a God. There's a God. See, notice it's not just Christians that love creation. Have you ever picked up on that? It's like, it's not just Christians that want to spend time in the Red River Gorge or go to the Alps or travel or, 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 or trout fish in a stream or just so moved by all that or suck in the smell of just fresh, tall pines or whatever it is. Creation moves all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike, because it is a little glimpse of and evidence of the God who made you and your soul longs to be in relationship with him. But non-Christians take creation and stop right there and build an altar and try to make that what it's all about. And here's the deal. And then they say, I just don't have enough evidence. I'm just not sure there's a God. I just know. Romans 1 verse 20 says, nobody's going to stand in front of God. Oh, well, they may, but it's going to get shot down. And say, I just didn't know. You should have given some more evidence. You could have done something like send a blimp across the sky or right, right on the wall or... God is going to say, you knew, you knew, you knew. So that they are without excuse. Our sin nature causes us to reject, to reject, consciously rebel in the face of facts. And it leaves us without excuse. And then look at verse 22 and 23. Professing to be wise, they became what? fools and exchange the glory exchange the glory of the incorruptible God incorruptible means it doesn't fade it doesn't rust it's not going to deteriorate it doesn't rot of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things 
we exchange, we take it back to the return counter and say, I don't want this. I don't want a God. I don't want the glory of God. I don't want the goodness of God. I don't want a notion of God. Give me something here in this life, whether it's my marriage or my career or extreme sports or drugs or alcohol or relationships or sex or whatever. Fill this desire and the sense of having to have purpose and meaning with something else. They exchange the glory of God for created things. That's what sin does to us. That's what this sin nature we're born with causes us to do. Let me illustrate what I mean by this exchange the glory of God for trinkets and baubles. We exchange it for stuff in this world. Don't hear me saying marriage is not important. Don't hear me saying kids aren't, grandkids aren't. Uh, Don't hear me saying you're weird if you have a sense of satisfaction when you work hard. Hello, I wish there were more people that still had that sense. When you work hard, there's, there's a reason, it's right. Do hear me saying, and even pleasure and good food and music and friendship, none of this is sinful. But you make a tragic mistake if you take any of that, kids, grandkids, marriage, pleasure, and try to wrap your life around it and build your world around it and get all your satisfaction and purpose and sense of meaning out of it. It will fail you. It will collapse. It will disappoint you. So we exchange the glory of God for created things that are truly trinkets and baubles and toys Let me illustrate it for you. New York City is a city of extremes. If you've ever been there, it's just a city of extremes. It has some amazingly breathtaking wonders and marvels, like the 150-year-old Central Park. I mean, you may just think, oh, Central Park, it's like Pioneer Park or whatever. I don't know. 840 acres. It's such a contrast. In the middle of glass and metal and buildings plopped down in the middle of all that, 840. 140 acres, like an oasis in that. And it took them 20 years to build it, folks. And every, you might not know this, they didn't just start digging and say, oh, there's a big rock, put it there. Every rock, every tree was brought in and placed exactly where the designers decided. And they dug three lakes. It is a marvel. One of our favorite places to hang out. But if you've been there, then you also know the contrast with all these marvels is that every street corner in New York City is covered and filled with somebody's little table of trinkets and baubles and junk, right? Plastic stuff or somebody coming up to you with a briefcase full of watches or jewelry or opening their coat saying, want to buy a watch? I mean, you're just harassed with all that. It's junk. It's junk. It's knockoff Louis Vuitton handbags. No, it's not real. There that is, both, both. So, what if after we visited New York City, one of our trips, and you've been or you live there, you know what's there to really see, you said to us, ah, oh, did you see the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island? Did you go, there? no. Did you, did you go up to the top of the Empire State Building? No. Did you get into Chinatown and Little Italy and all the food and the culture? This? No. Did you go to a Broadway play? No. Walk across the Brooklyn Bridge? No. And you looked at us and said, then what did you do? What did you look at? And I said, oh. Every day we just hung out on the street corners and we went from table to table and vendor and vendor. Did you know there are little plastic statues of liberty? And you can get a plastic Brooklyn Bridge. 
You can get a Plastic Empire State Building. You can get Louis Vuitton knockoff purses. You can get DVD movies that are grainy and been copied illegal. You can get them to add to your library. You would think we were nuts, right? Why? I'll tell you why. Because it would show that we had right there among us no sense of what is most important and of most value. Now, as tragic as that is to visit New York City and spend it that way, there's something far more tragic that some of you sitting right here are doing right now. And it's what Romans 1, to 23 says. You're living your life focused on, focused on, and majoring in the stuff of this life that is right now passing away. And it's just trinkets and baubles and it will never satisfy. But you're bumped up to the world's table, clawing and grabbing and clutching and fighting over it with other people as if this is what matters most. But it's not. The message paraphrase of Romans 1, to 23 says, they pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines that you can buy at any roadside stand. Let me ask you, what's in your hand? What is it that you're clutching? Or what is it that's just beyond your reach that it's what drives you every day? It's why you get up and you keep thinking, if I could just get married or I could just have a true soulmate friend or I could just buy my first house, I could just have a baby, I could just, you can spend your whole life with that if I could just. Or you could spend your whole life squeezing something And wondering, why doesn't this really satisfy? Oh, it's because I need more of it in my hand. Oh, I need some things in both hands. I got the wrong things in my hands. Those are the things now. And that's what the world will do to you. And you can spend your life chasing, 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 chasing. And God loves us enough that he wants us to see the deception of that. And you won't learn that from commercials or sitcoms or television shows or movies. But when you read God's word, it's like, it's like smelling salts. It's like, oh, 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 oh. Now don't hear me saying, so don't have any investments. Don't have health insurance. Don't build a house. Don't buy a house. Don't get married. Don't, I'm not saying that. I've done many, if not all of those things. Just don't build your world around it and clutch it and expect it to do for you what it cannot do because it's passing away, passing away. And maybe you're saying, Brad, so what? So what if I wanna grab all the gusto I can right here, right now? Big deal. Why are you and Paul so worked up over this? Let me tell you something very sobering as we close and I'm gonna unpack it more next week. That second thing I want you to get from the high vantage point over Romans 86 stories up, that second thing I want you to get is this, point number two. This sinful condition of exchanging the glory of God for the trinkets and baubles of this world brings down the wrath of God on you. 
And I don't say that with glee and zeal, like, oh, I love to tell people this. I hope you sense I'm saying this recognizing, oh, my goodness, that's a very, very terrifying, sobering thing to say. You say, Brad, we're trying to reach people for Christ. You can't talk like this. How are we going to have people? You know what? As long as it's still in the Bible, I'm still going to say it. But I hope I say it with a broken heart. I hope I say it with a pleading catch in my voice. Oh, listen to me. Just because the world, it's not in vogue to talk about the wrath of God, doesn't mean it isn't a reality. You see it. You see it in the scriptures. It's not just whatever. I'm going to live for now. It's my choice. It brings down the wrath of God on you. But I don't want to leave you there. I want, I want to leave you with some hope today. Because you might not come back next week. And so if you don't, let me give you some hope. As dark as our condition is, and I think it's dark what we're shown in Romans 1, 2, and 3. It's like, oh, man. You, you'd never take Romans 1, 2, and 3 into the elementary schools for self-esteem workshops. And, you know, all come into the auditorium. Let's read these three chapters so that kids will know how great they are. You're like, oh. Folks. As dark as our condition is, God's mercy in the book of Romans shines brighter and reaches right into that darkness. Right into it. Get this. Even as God saw us, all of us, up against the tables, turning over the tables of the world, clawing and scratching and fighting and over the stuff that doesn't even matter. Get this. While we were like that he didn't just send a little pamphlet down he sent his son into our mess to die for us God loves you more than anyone anyone and what God has done for you is better than anything that anyone else has done for you that's the kind of God we have let me show you as we close and the worship team joins me on the stage Romans 5 Romans chapter 5 as we close Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 8 two words that I love say them with me but God say it again but God oh one more time but God demonstrates his own love towards us. When? When did he do that? After he saw people kind of turning around and doing better and meeting him halfway? No. While we were turning over tables and clawing and fighting and clutching and clinging to all this junk and saying, I don't want you. I don't want your glory. I don't want you in my life. While we were like that, waging a quiet, and some of you, it wasn't a quiet. It was an all-out riot against the glory of God. He sent his son while we were yet sinners Christ died for us wow wow if you're here and you're not a Christian oh listen to me if you're here and you're not a Christian come to Christ Cry out to God for mercy. Whatever it is you've been trying to fill your life with, whatever it is you, put it down. 
and say, God, I need you. If you've been on your own self-effort of trying to be a good person, stop it. You'll never be good enough. You'll never do this. And say, oh, God, save me based on what Christ did on the cross for me that was final payment for all my sins. Somebody say amen. Amen. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. The offer is free. There's no fine print at the bottom. This tricky, free offer of forgiveness and salvation. But I got a word for some of the others of you. You say, well, I'm good. I'm in. I'm a Christian. Jesus lives in me. Here's some sobering news. It's why we need to come together corporately and hear God's word and sing together and get in a small group and hold on to each other. Did you know after he rescues you, comes into your life, opens your eyes, you can actually go back to some of those same tables and claw and clutch and grab and lose sight of and forget Whoa, because the world, everything is pushing us in that. And that's why we need reminders like from Romans and from people in your small group and from singing a great song of truth. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. If you're here and you're a Christian, I say, what's in your hand? What's in your heart? What have you really been prizing and treasuring and just, and you realize, what have I been doing? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Put it down. Lift your hands to him again and say, oh yes. Oh, yes, I want to treasure you, prize you, love you. And it'll help you also live in a broken world with everything not being just like you wish it was. But you say, I got a greater treasure. I've got a greater treasure. So this message today is for everybody. There's nobody in a category that, well, I didn't need that. If you're not a Christian, come to Christ. Put your trust in Christ. If you are a Christian, take a minute to look at what's in your hands. How you been living? What's in your heart? What have you been tre- treasuring and prizing? Oh God, meet us, all of us, right where we are. And you see our hearts? Let us see our hearts. Anyone who's here and doesn't know Christ, cause them to realize that you love them already, not if they'll move towards you, you love them. You love them. You sent your son to die for them already. Cause them to put their faith in Christ. Take out the heart of stone, open blind eyes, unstop deaf ears, set them free. And for every Christian here that has wandered and drifted back to the corner, street corner tables of the world and is down low on the plastic grabbing stuff, bring them up higher again. Say, wait a minute, wait a minute, get out of the streets, get off the corner. There's some marvels. There's some better places to be. Help us all. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.